You guys can have a seat as Jason kind of mentioned this morning, the flags uh, in the auditorium. Uh, I don't know about for you, but I kind of like thinking about what's going on in the world, and sometimes the flags can be a little bit of a distraction as I look at them and I try to figure out uh, every country that they represent. And uh, so feel free to take a a look around this morning, uh, and as you think of different countries, just to to wonder, what is it like there? What is it like? Are there people that are gathered there uh, today on a Sunday morning to worship God, and what does that look like for them? Does it look like this, or does it look like something else. I'm excited. My name is Chris McGuffey. I'm the uh, pastor of outreach here at Grace Bible Church. Most of you know me as the pastor of handshakes and high fives uh, out in the foyer. Uh, Just something fun that uh, I also get to be a part of. But uh, as today is the kickoff of kind of our go week, our global outreach week, I'm excited to be here this morning because maybe you'll get to understand a a little bit about, uh, a little more about me this morning and the passions uh, that run fairly deep in my own life. Uh, So we're here. We're excited about being here. Uh, I wanted uh, you guys to know that today really is about the nations. Okay, because so often what happens in our church, uh, I joke around with our our other teaching staff, and you know, there's 52 weeks of the year, and 51 weeks out of the year, we get to hear sermons that say missions is everything. And there's some truth to that. God has called you You know, just by you being here, God has placed you in a position of influence. Maybe some of you as students, some of you as teachers, uh, and all the different places that you could work. Okay? And God wants you to represent uh, Him in the places where you are. Okay? Those are the 51 sermons that we get a year. But today is the 52nd sermon. Today I'm excited because we not only get to talk about what it means to be on mission in our Christian life, Today, we also get to talk about what it means to be in missions as a stewardship of all that we know and all that we have. Today, we get to talk about loving the nations. So we're going to be this morning uh, in Acts chapter 8, and we're going to talk about a guy named Philip. So if you want to go ahead and turn to that passage in the Bible uh, that you hopefully brought with you, then we're going to get to there in just a few minutes. It's no uh, big accident this morning that as we continue our journey through the book of Acts in our sermon series this semester, uh, that we land in a passage this day that starts to set up the future of the missionary movement in the early church. The book of Acts, I think, is pretty brilliant in the way that it introduces situations and people. Oftentimes what happened is Luke arranges his material in this book, that he gives us a little, uh, a little shot, a little introduction about somebody or a setting, and then by the time we get done with it, it's in somewhere uh, in a completely different place. So if you think back to last week, what did we do? We talked about the life of Stephen. Okay, and we see this guy Stephen uh, in the book, or in, the, in chapter 6, where he is filled with the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's a great servant, and he rises up to meet this need in the church, and then all of a sudden, after a brilliant sermon in chapter 7, we see that he's martyred. He was a spokesperson in the church, started as a servant, ended up being a leader, but suddenly, his life taken from him. The story demands us to think about these negative implications of the death of our protagonist of the story. And then we begin to see how God uses Stephen's death as a catalyst for the gospel expansion. In chapter 7, we're also 
introduced to this man named Saul, but we're left there at the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8 with this cliffhanging idea that Paul is forever going to remain the antagonist of the story, approving of the persecution of the people there in Jerusalem who are following Jesus. Saul is yet to have his miraculous conversion that will happen in chapter 9, and he begins to wait on his Macedonian call, which he doesn't know about yet, that's going to come about in chapter 13, setting the missionary movement even further out to the nations. So turn with me, if you will, into Acts chapter 8, and let's see how this story begins. Verse 1 says this, And Saul approved of his, of Stephen's execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution in the church of Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. So let's go for a little review and find out what is it that Luke has arranged for us and what has happened in the history of this very young church up to this point. First off, we know from uh, the end of the Gospels that Jesus ascends into heaven and he promises us the Holy Spirit. And by the very early chapters of the book of Acts, uh, Jesus gives us this command to reach Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and all the way out into the very ends of the earth. And as we've heard before, that sets up the framework of this book of Acts as we are able to watch in the storyline how this story unfolds moving from Jerusalem out to, the earth, out to the ends of the earth. He promises the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes there in chapter 2 in the story uh, about Pentecost, and He indwells the believers, okay? And He helps them to understand that now they have the power. They have the power to be able to be ministers of the gospel, Unfortunately, persecution comes. It's what I call an unplanned accelerant to the church planning movement. And unlikely leaders like Saul are identified, but they're not yet sanctified into his overall plan. Believers are scattered from a human perspective, but are actually sent from a heavenly perspective. And all of a sudden, the church is in Judea and Samaria. God's promise of Acts 1-8 is beginning to unfold. So now, in this context, we are quickly introduced to our main character for the day in a manner that's pretty similar to others in the book. So let's continue to read starting in verse 4. It says this, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to Samaria, and he proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and those who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. As is the pattern in the book of Acts, it's important for us to understand that Philip, although he, uh, we learn about him here in chapter 8, he's already been introduced to us back in chapter 6 as he was chosen as one of the faithful servants uh, alongside of Stephen to serve the Hellenistic Jews. This is not the Philip the disciple that was from Bethesda, but Philip the evangelist, okay, as he would become to know. Uh, know. Philip's ministry in Samaria, which was really one of the first ministry aspects that fell outside of Judea, caused quite a stir, attracting a lot of people. 
And the next story there is a, it's a worthwhile story to read about Simon the magician, especially uh, as it illustrates what it means for those who want to follow Christ uh, to take power unto themselves. That's a great story, but I want to jump over that one and start down in verse 26 and hear about Philip, uh, Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch. Verse 26 says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now previously, as we know, Philip had been ministering up in Samaria, okay, up to the north, which was a, a pretty well-known uh, culture. As a matter of fact, it was so well known when people wanted to travel from Jerusalem all the way up into Galilee, they could have passed through Samaria, but they didn't like the people there. They didn't like the culture there. So they would cross over the Jordan River, go all the way up on the east side, and then hop back over so that they could get to their, their brothers that were in, uh, in Galilee. So this is Philip who had already been sent north. He'd already been sent into this disliked people because he felt like that the gospel message needed to be spread in that area. But now the angel of the Lord has sent Philip to the south, into the desert, one of the remotest parts of that region. And I love verse 27. It simply says this, And he arose and went. The angel of the Lord speaks to Philip, and almost immediately he rises and he goes. Every time I hear these little verses like this, like Acts 8, 27, I have to say to myself, I don't really like it. I don't like the fact that he didn't stop and think about it. I don't like the fact that he didn't say, well, you know, I've got a lot of stuff going on right here, and maybe I need to think through what the implications of that is. He didn't stop to think, well, the Lord has me planted here, so I must misunderstand what the angel of the Lord is calling me to do somewhere else. Without hesitation, he gets up and he goes. Why is that? Could it be that it's because an angel of the Lord quite possibly was standing in front of him and telling him to go, making it clear? Well, that brings up another couple of questions in my mind. What about the Scriptures? Do I really believe that the Scriptures are authoritative in my life? Do I really believe that the Scriptures are speaking to me personally? If that's the truth, if I believe that God has taken His Word and, and has compiled it and uh, put it in a, in a book so that it can be uh, part of my daily life, do I really believe that if it tells me that I need to get up and go, that that's what I should do immediately and fully obeying Him. Let's continue the story in verse 27. It says, And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch in the court of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. And Philip ran uh, to him, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked a question. He said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. I love that. He asked a great question. Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch says this, how can I understand what I'm reading unless there's somebody that can help explain it to me, to guide me in this process? This brings to mind other verses in my mind when I think about how it is that the world is supposed to, to, to understand what God is doing in their midst, to reconcile them unto Himself. And it's found in Romans chapter 10, 
verses 14 and 15, it's pretty familiar. It says this, how, will, how then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear if someone, without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let me ask a question this morning. Can God reach the lost without us? Absolutely. Absolutely. God could write in the sky. He could do, you know, put notes in people's journals. He could send them an email. He could do whatever He wants. But what is God's primary way? What is His normative path in terms of helping the nations to understand a relationship with Jesus Christ? It's us. That He would send His people who have their own story of redemption to go and explain this good news to people that are out there that are still in the midst of a lost and hurting world. Why does He do that? Well, I don't know. Maybe because He wants us as people to relate to one another. That that His story makes the most sense in the context of a broken life that's made whole. But it also has to do with the fact that I think that He wants us to grow in our trust of Him. That He puts us in an impossible task with a message that sounds incredible. And He wants us to be able to trust in Him and grow in our relationship with Him as we go and are obedient to the commands that He gives us. Verse 32 continues, it says, Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb to its shear is silent, and he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is it about himself or is it about someone else? Just so we catch what is happening here in this passage, we have this Ethiopian eunuch, and he's a foreign emissary from the the kingdom of Ethiopia. Okay, Not long after the resurrection of Jesus, he comes and he begins to try to worship in Jerusalem. Okay, And he ends up on the way home reading a messianic passage from the book of Isaiah while wishing that someone would come along and help him to understand what is happening. You know, so often we have these preconceived notions about what the rest of the world is like. We think that sometimes it's this collectively difficult place to find anyone who might even remotely be interesting in hearing about the Savior that we serve. But that isn't always the case. It is often the case that God is doing something in the lives of the people that He wants to call into Himself. And that He gives us those opportunities to go and to help clarify the message that He gives. That we can go and stand beside someone and to help clarify both with our life and our words this good news, this message of hope, and eternal salvation. But we just let those opportunities pass us by, thinking that people really don't want to hear. Verse 35 actually is one of my favorite in the, uh, favorites in the passage, and it simply says this, Philip opened his mouth. So confronted with this opportunity that God had brought him to a place and he was aware that God had put him in this desert place. Maybe he sat there for a little while, I don't know, wondering what in the world God was doing in his life. And all of a sudden this chariot comes by and he hears this man reading from the book of Isaiah. And as he asks him, do you understand what you're reading? The guy says, no, how could I if nobody's going to guide me? Philip decides 
to open his mouth. Philip started with a sermon that I would love to be a part of, love to hear. He started in the middle of the book of Isaiah and he caught the Ethiopian eunuch all the way up to the events of the day, ending with how Jesus, who had presented himself as king, fulfilled the prophecies in the very passage that he was written, that, it, that he was reading, and gave himself on the cross for our salvation. It's incredible. The eunuch had come to worship in the manner of the Old Testament, but now everything had changed. The Messiah had come. He had given his life, and he had resurrected to offer life to those who would believe. That, the eunuch believes, and the story continues. It says in verse 36, And they were going along the road, and he came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is some water. What prevents me from being baptized? Not enough for him to make a decision to follow Jesus, but to understand that by being baptized, he's saying, I want everyone to know. I want my life to be identified with Christ. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns, and he came to Caesarea. Now, I don't know how good your geography of the ancient world is, but it's really interesting to me to see that Philip started out in Samaria up to the north part of Jerusalem, and God had called him down to the south to have this incredible encounter, to have this man come to faith and to send him uh, back down to the kingdom where he uh, once came from. And then now God allows Philip to swing all the way on the whole west side coast, taking the gospel to every town until he ended back up in Caesarea. Let's just take a step back and review the points of this passage and find out something that might relate to our life. First off, we need to understand that Philip was already in the midst of something. You know, our lives, we sit and we wonder, it's like, hey, my life is good. God has given me some blessing. He's allowed me to carve out this space in life, whether it's a career that you may be involved in or if you're here just uh, for school. And you may already be involved in some great ministry opportunities with your neighbors or with uh, your coworkers or with students or with some other ministry that's there. And we think, man, I'm just going to bury my head into the things that are around me. But could it be that God is also wanting to, to speak to you? And maybe He already is through friends or through sermons or through scriptures or through experiences that you're having, like Philip, to get up and to go somewhere else. That God may want to take you further away from the area where you have grown comfortable to be a minister to Him in another place. Philip was already involved in a work in Samaria where God's word was going forth. But the angel of the Lord instructed Philip to do something else. And I think it's worth noting that Philip, here he is, he had already been appointed a leader in the church, had gone out to Samaria, and now God was moving him somewhere else. He left a vibrant ministry for the Lord to have an opportunity to reach those who were still unreached. He left a vibrant ministry to serve in an opportunity to where he could help to reach the unreached. Secondly, Philip was led away to an unknown circumstance. I love it, you know, because he was told to go south and into the desert. And that's really all the information that he had, but he still got up and he immediately went. Okay? The rest of the story, the rest of the details didn't come until he had already obeyed. 
Sometimes I think that we uh, somehow think that for God's uh, call in our lives to be validated, that it must include a full set of details. But most often, as is the case with, and as is the case with Philip, God says, "Go," and we learn of the details on the way. If you think through other scriptures, other passages, and other stories in the Bible. Abraham was, received his call down in the Ur of the Chaldees, and he didn't know what he was, he was to do. God said, pick up and I want to take you to another place. And the rest of his life, his calling was to sojourn, to walk around in a foreign land so that he could represent God to the people that were there. You think about Moses. Moses knew that he was supposed to get the people out of Israel, but he didn't probably realize what a pain that was going to be for the next 40 years. And it took that long for the, all the details to come to fruition about what God was doing. It makes me ask, what level of clarity do I demand from God before I'm willing to obey? And it makes me ask the question for you too. What level of clarity are you demanding from God before you give Him the opportunity of your obedience? Why does God do this? Why is this the way that it works? Why is it that God... just constantly causes us to live by faith and to follow Him. Well, I think that there's a few things that might be true. I know one is true in my own experience, and that is this, that if God had unveiled His plan, His whole plan for me up front, I never would have trusted Him to bring it to pass. I couldn't have handled all the things that now I know that God would call me to do at the very beginning. And so He just let me have a little bit of it piece by piece. I remember when I was uh, a student in 1987, I was at a conference with crew, a winter conference, and then I remember praying a simple prayer that simply said that, God, I want to release the ownership of my life to do whatever it is that you want to call me to do. I didn't know that that would actually end up taking me all around the world. And if I had known that, I'm not sure that I would have prayed it. But actually, now, I wouldn't trade those experiences for anything in the world. Another key point of this passage is this, is that Philip met someone who was spiritually interested, but he wasn't scripturally aware. This man was an important figure in the kingdom of Ethiopia. And it serves as an early insight, especially here in the book of Acts, that God's heart is not just for those that were in Jerusalem uh, and Judea, but also for the nations. It's a great indicator that God's heart is for the nations and that he was serious about taking the gospel message to the ends of the earth. I love it that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading from the book of Isaiah, but he wasn't understanding. He was trying to figure out what it means to follow God from a completely Old Testament context, the the only scriptures that he had. And I think about myself, it's like, man, if, I, if that's all I got when I showed up to Jerusalem and I was trying to figure out everything about being rightly related to God just from the book of Isaiah, I might have some questions myself. He was probably pretty glad that Philip showed up and got up into the, the chariot with him and said, hey, how can I, how can I help you through this? And Phil, answer to Philip's question, he said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? I think that Philip's lesson, his life, helps us to understand this key lesson. Philip realized that the knowledge of Jesus that he had was not just a blessing, but it was a stewardship to be shared. 
The Ethiopian's question is a question of what I would call the spiritually interested. And believe it or not, it's not. Uh, it, there are a lot of people that are out there that are actually pretty dissatisfied with what I would call their religion of origin. Okay, whatever it is, their belief system as they grew up, there are a lot of people that have figured out by now, hey, you know what, this doesn't work. Whatever it is that I've grown up with is not working in my life. And I'm actually pretty interested to find some set of beliefs that seems to be working in somebody else's life and to have them explain it to me so that I can try that out myself. Some, like the eunuch in our story today, have run across uh, you know, script portions of Scripture that have caused them to be more interested in Christianity. Some people uh, maybe have heard the testimony of some faithful believers, and they want to find out what makes their life tick. Other people, God has sent visions and dreams into their life, and that's what causes them to initially begin to pursue this relationship with God. And others, like a lot of the international students that uh, wander into our church, they, they just come in wondering, what is this culture all about? And begin to hear the gospel message. The fact of the matter is this truth, that many who want to believe are waiting for spiritual guides to help them. Many who are wanting to believe are waiting for spiritual guides to help them. My prayer in 1987 to relinquish that control of my life led to a trip that I took in 1988. Uh, the project was called North Star. It had a code name because it uh, was in the Soviet Union at that time. And uh, the wall was still up. Uh, tensions were high in the uh, very end of the Cold War. And I was traveling uh, through that country. Uh, believe it or not, we spent nine days on a train. Okay, And we spent nine days because we were trying to get out of the part of that country that we knew the most about. And we traveled across all 11 time zones. Okay, all 11 time zones. And even though uh, that was a pretty difficult part of that trip, as we were coming back, we were blessed with the opportunity to spend our last week of that trip uh, in a place called Yalta. And in Yalta, if uh, for any of you that might be uh, history buffs, was a place of the big three conference uh, between Stalin, Churchill, and FDR, where they had a meeting and pretty much divided up Eastern Europe. Uh, and that's where uh, the Iron Curtain was erected. The security around that trip was high. We had to be very careful not to be followed by the secret police. And so when I met a friend, his name was Vaktan, uh, my sensitivities uh, were pretty well peaked, especially when he started asking me questions. We met on a beach in the afternoon and decided uh, that he would be willing to show me around his city uh, during the evening. So as we walked and talked, uh, our conversation very naturally uh, turned to spiritual things. Vaktan asked me, he said, so you're a Christian, right? And I said, yes, I am. Uh, and then the shocking question after that was, well, since you're, a, since you're uh, an American, he said, I'm assuming that you're a Christian. Is that true? I said, that's true. And in my mind, I'm thinking, this is either the most clumsy setup by the secret police or the most incredible conversation that I would have that summer. What he said next was this. I have always wanted to be a Christian, but I have never had anybody show me how. As we began to talk, I realized that somebody two years before had handed Vaktan a, a Russian New Testament. And I'll tell you, after 70 years of communist control in that country, there weren't a lot of New Testaments that were floating around. 
And he had been very uh, faithful to, to take that book and had read through the New Testament in his own language multiple times in an unknown anticipation of my arrival. We spent the next few hours walking around the city talking about what it means to begin a new relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that night, before we split, Vakhtan gave his life to Christ. You know, to be honest with you, I'm not sure whose life changed more that night. In a way, both of us passed what I would call from darkness into light. We know that from the Scriptures, because he started a new relationship with Jesus Christ, that Vakhtan's uh, eternity passed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But for me, I passed from uh, moving uh, from a darkness of what God was doing around the world to the light of knowledge that He wants us to participate with Him in the Great Commission. uh, Both of our lives were forever changed. Vakhtan... Uh, His best friend and his sister during the course of that week also gave their lives to Christ. And for me, I surrendered my plans for my life. And I opened my life up to the Lord to lead me into whatever desert places that He wanted me to go. God had a divine appointment for me that summer. And though as I look back uh, on that specific moment where uh, I had to say goodbye to Vakhtan and and, uh, my new Christian family there in Yalta, I realized something, is that God had been in part uh, in my life, a part of a process, even from the day that I prayed the prayer back a year before, all the way to that moment, that God had been doing something within me to stir my heart to want to serve Him. I look back and realize that the shift in my life happened over time, in the process of saying yes to and preparing for the trip that I was on. And at the end of that summer, the Lord kind of nailed things down for me and gave me a new life verse. And it was this. Romans chapter 15, verses 20 and 21. It says, Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on somebody else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of Him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. And so I spent the next 20 plus years of my life and with our family preparing and going and ministering on the gospel frontier. If I were you and listening to me, a question would come to my mind and it might be something like this. So why did you come back? If God had gone to all that trouble to call you into those places to give you this verse why is it you know, that, that you came back? What is it that brought you back? And I think that that's a good question, and I'm glad you asked. Because the answer is you. It was you that brought, me, that brought our family back to this church. Because after having experienced the things that we experienced, and after being able to finish up some of the assignments that the Lord had called us to, there was something great, a great burden on my heart to be able to come back to this city, which I consider maybe the most evangelized city in the entire world, Okay, to come back to see if I could convince you that going and trusting God wherever it is that He would send you is totally worth it. It's totally worth it. We as a church are starting kind of a new phase as we begin to go out into our journey into the mission's involvement. And currently we're still asking that the Lord would show us 
what people group that we can uh, begin to focus on and make long-term commitments so that we can not just send summer teams, but that we can send out long-term teams from Grace Bible Church to go to some specific places in the world to reach others for Christ. That we could fulfill our part, our church's part, not only in our community, not only in the communities around us, but into the ends of the earth so that we know that Christ's name has been proclaimed. But I believe in the short term, we have some trips that we are offering that will allow uh, God's purposes to work in us. And you can see what some of those are. We have some for our youth groups. We have a lot from our college class. We have some family trips. And as we begin, really, just to begin to to talk about uh, these displaced peoples that are coming out of the Middle East and suffering greatly and having to live in other places, we want to figure out, as a church, how can we go and help be a part of that process, not only meeting the needs that they have physically, emotionally, but also spiritually. God's purpose is to work in us, and we want to be better prepared to say yes for a lifetime of service to the unreached and the unengaged that are around us. And I believe that God wants to use our church and to use the people of our church and to use the people of Southwood and to use the people in this service to accomplish His purposes. Can you sense God's urging for you to play a part? I know that that sounds like a a very large step for many of you. But today I'm just asking you to say yes to something very simple. And that is to enter into a discussion with the Lord about how you can be involved in the Great Commission. Both in your Jerusalem, in your Judea and Samaria, the the, the places where God could expand your influence. But also to consider what He might do with you in the remotest parts of the earth. Are you willing to go that far? Are you willing to enter into a prayer and a discussion with God? To say, you know what? What God has happening right here may be different than what God wants me to do in the next few years. As we get back to Philip, I love that the story doesn't end in the desert. We know that Philip's role was done there. The Holy Spirit moved him on to other places uh, and to other cities. And he spread the gospel, as I said, from Azotus all the way through Caesarea. The next time that we hear of Philip, actually he's still in Caesarea, and it's in chapter 21, and Paul, this guy formerly known as Saul, has already been converted. He's already gotten his Macedonian call, and he's taken the gospel through most of the known region of his time. And they show up at Philip's house, and they're staying with him, and that's when Agabus stands up. Maybe you're familiar with the story, and he prophesies. And he says, you know what's going to happen, Paul? Is that you've run your course, and you're going to head back to Jerusalem, and people are going to bind you in chains, and they're going to hand you over to the Gentiles. But the fact of the matter is this, is that the gospel can't be chained. How does Philip's life relate to ours? Let's end with three quick principles. The first is this, that calling follows character. See, so often I think we try to get on the wrong side of the occasion and pick that place, where am I supposed to be? Instead of answering that question, who am I supposed to be? That we need to spend time following uh, the scriptures that the Lord has given us and to find ourselves in a community group and do all the things that we can do so that God continues to build within us the ability to be like Him. And as we become like Him, we'll be able to more clearly hear where it is that God wants us to be. 
And for many of us, that's the first steps that we need to take. That our lives need to align more closely with what the Scriptures say. And once that happens, we can hear Him more clearly when He tells us where it is that we should be. Calling is going to follow character. The second is this, is that God's purpose follows our preparation. We should serve God faithfully where we are, but we need to realize that God often uses circumstances to move us from one place to another place to serve. Okay? We should always be willing to consider that God might move us from a place of service to a place of leadership. Can I ask you a scary question to think about? What if the life that you have arranged for yourself up to this point isn't really the end, but it's just a means? What if God has allowed you to be a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer or a construction worker or a student, okay, a, a, a daycare worker? Whatever it is that you do, what if God has allowed you to do that only because He wanted to prepare you to do something radically different? Are you willing to go before the Lord and to ask Him? What's next? To put what you know to be true and comfortable now and to place that on the altar of God and say, even though this seems like this is what you want me to do, Lord, I'm willing to go and do something very different. Are you willing to give that enough thought to see what the Lord has waiting for you? The third thing is this, and I mentioned it once, is that stewardship follows blessing. What opportunities has the Lord given you not merely to spend on yourself, but to invest in His kingdom. All that you have belongs to the Lord. His, and it's His heart that everyone on earth, in every tongue and tribe and every nation, would get a chance to hear of the gift of redemption. That stewardship follows blessing. We have to get to that point in life where we ask, why is it that in our context, our country, our city, that we have churches around us, that we freely hear the gospel message, that we have more biblical education through the teaching of Blake and others that stand up here on this platform than so many of the pastors that are all throughout the world. Why did we get so much blessing? Is there a way that that needs to be stewarded in God's kingdom? Are you willing to give your future to the Lord to do whatever He asks you to do? Blake is going to come up and share with us some opportunities for application for the day. Thank you, Chris. One of the reasons that Guff and I wanted to partner today is that you, so that you can see that missions conference isn't just the missions pastor getting up and talking to you. This is something that we all care deeply about. I had the opportunity to go on a summer project back in 2000, so over 15 years ago now. I went to uh, a former Soviet Republic, so after Guff, when, when the wall fell down, we were able to go um, over there and spend time with some Russians, but actually for our trip it was mostly Muslim students. And so I spent about seven weeks with, uh, spent most of my time with eight Muslim guys. And for a number of those guys, uh, I got to tell them about Jesus for the first time. Like they'd never heard about that. That's a pretty crazy thing for you living in College Station, Texas, where there's literally like a church on every corner, like there's one here and one right over there on the other side of the intersection. And you go to a place and start talking about a guy named Jesus, and they don't know any difference between him and some guy named Sam. 
They don't know anything about them. And so it's an amazing privilege. We had an incredible summer. I still remember those guys, still pray for them by name. It was impactful in their lives, but it, was, it really changed my life. That was really the first time that I got to see what God is doing in the world and how I could be part of it, how I could live a life that counted for eternity. And so it, it is our express goal, missions, being involved in, in the Great Commission is one of the four pillars of Grace Bible Church. And so it is our express, explicit desire for you guys, for every person in this room at some point in your life to go on a mission trip, to go overseas, to go be involved in some way in missions, whether just for a summer or for a longer period of time. So we're going to try to help you to do that. Um, This afternoon, we have lunch for you. It's actually been set up. It's in the porticos, like when you go out the front doors right there, Buppy's Catering. We've got free lunch for you. We'd love to have you instead of trying to fight the crowd for a restaurant. Just have lunch on us. Um, Grab your food, and then right inside the doors in the college area, we're going to have some breakout sessions where we're going to talk to you and and, and help you to discover how you could be involved in missions. So you get a lot of different options about what you might look at today. During this missions fair, this missions lunch, we're going to have some people there talking about church planting. If you wanted to be involved in, in planting a church in some place where there aren't churches, we'll have another breakout session on compassion ministries. Children's Relief International will be here talking about like orphan care and AIDS care overseas. Another group will be talking about campus ministries, like what Crew does here at A and M, but what what they're doing overseas. And then finally, we'll we'll have a group talking about our Southwood Honduras trip. So we send a group to Honduras for one of our missions projects. So we'll talk to you about that. So we would love to have you stick around. Grab lunch on us, then find out about how you could be involved and what God is doing through this church overseas. Uh, Next opportunity for you is this Wednesday evening. We're going to have a meet a missionary dinner or dessert, actually not dinner, dessert and coffee over at the Anderson campus. So if you just go to the Anderson campus fellowship wing at at 7 p.m., there'll be free dessert, free coffee, and a lot of our missionaries, which you actually support. I don't know if you know this, but when you give money, like in the offering plate or online, a big chunk of that money goes to missionaries directly. And so you get to meet the people that you are supporting financially, find out their story, what God is doing through them on the ground overseas. So we'd love to have you join us Wednesday evening, 7 p.m. at the Anderson campus. Next, if you're a little further down the road on this, you kind of have a sense that God maybe is calling you into missions in some way, but maybe you don't know exactly how yet, you want to learn more. We have small group Bible studies here at Grace called Launch Groups. So it's, it's like any small group. You study the Bible, you pray, you spend time together, but it's with other people who feel that the Lord is, is calling them to maybe look at missions. So we would love to have you join one of our launch groups if you think that God is maybe knocking on the door and, and opening a way for you to be involved in missions. You can just talk to somebody um, in the foyer or at the lunch today. So we've got lots of people around. Just look for a name tag. Anybody with a name tag to say, hey, I want to find out more about launch groups. They'll help you get connected with somebody who can uh, walk you through that. Next, we have perspectives. This is a really awesome class. Now, I know class doesn't sound awesome, um, but when I was at A&M back in 1994, so 21 years ago during my freshman year at A&M, I took perspectives on the World Christian Movement. It's a 
like think of a, like a 15-week class, but instead of on engineering or math or whatever, it's on missions. And so you find out, you discover what God has been doing. So that the history of missions, the, the exegesis of it, like what he says about it in his word, the, the strategy of it, how you do missions, and then a lot of really practical discussions, like how do you blend into the culture? How do you learn the language? How do you help people come to faith? Amazing class. Best class I took at A&M. We would love to have you do this class in the spring. We have it every year. We partner with a number of churches here in the community. So it's, a, it's lots of churches working together to put on this class. This spring, it's gonna, we're actually going to have two of them because it's grown so much we can't fit everybody in one class. We're going to have it on Sunday afternoons at the Anderson campus, so 2 p.m. Um, this spring, or Monday nights at 7 p.m. at Fellowship Church. So you, you get to pick whichever time you want. And when you go out in the foyer or under the portico, there will be a table and then people handing out things that just say, get threaded. That's uh, kind, of, kind of like a thread on the front of it. On the back are all the details. So if you'd like to, to take this class, we'd love to have you do this. It's transformative. It'll change your life. Um, and you don't have to be a student to do that. So adults, this is for anybody. You don't have to be at A&M to do that. So perspectives, we'd love to have you do it. And then finally, here's the easiest one. Save the easiest one for last. A few months ago, a couple months ago, we had furniture giveaway for international students. Many of those international students expressed an interest to get to know an American because they, they don't know us. They, they don't have any way to connect with us. And so we would love for every one of those international students to be invited to have a meal in an American's home. So in, in one of our homes, have them come in, welcome them to our, our country, and invite them to, to get to know your family, show them the love of of Christ in a very practical way. They just don't know anyone. And so we would love to have every student adopted. And, and it's really simple to do that. Adopt sounds like a really big word. It's just really simple for this. All you got to do is have them over for one meal. That's it. Just have them into your home for one meal at some point this semester. That's your opportunity to show the love of Christ to them. It's so easy, but it really, it means a lot. There's a lot of students who, who don't participate in that, who they're here at A&M for three, four, five, six years. They never have a meal in an American's home the entire time. We, we don't want that to happen. So um, you can sign up to, to help out a student. Okay, for any of these, well, the lunch and, and the Wednesday thing, you can just go. Don't have to sign up for those at all. Just go. Um, but for all the others, if you would like more information on perspectives or a launch group or, or taking an international student, having them over to your place for dinner, if you'll just take, there's a card right in front of you, like at your knee in the back of the chair in front of you, it says, Get Connected. If you'll grab one of those cards, write your name and either your phone number or your email, whichever you'd like us to use, either send you an email or call you on the phone, and then write just just a word of what you're interested in. So perspectives or launch group or international student, just write that down. We'll contact you this week. So you can take that card, give it to somebody in the foyer or the portico that has a name tag, just hand it to them. They know what to do with it, and we'll follow up with you later this week. Um, We'd love the opportunity to get you that information so you can get involved in what God is doing through Grace Bible Church around the world. So uh, if you will join me in prayer, let's dedicate this time to the Lord and ask him to really speak to us and help us to be involved in what he wants to do here and abroad. God, we thank you so much for your son Jesus, for his gift. We thank you that that he died for our sins and rose from the dead, not just for us, but for everyone. We we thank you that Jesus died for the entire world, Lord. We we thank you for that good news, Lord, but we grieve that there are not just millions, but billions of people on this planet who don't yet know what your son did for them. 
Lord, we grieve that they live without hope. They live without light. Um, We pray, Father, that you would use us to take the good news of the gospel to them. Lord, we we rejoice and we celebrate that, that, the, that the opportunity to take the gospel to them is a privilege. We maybe could be the person who gets to tell them about Jesus for the first time. I pray that every person in this room would have that privilege at some point of telling someone about Jesus for the very first time. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be bold and courageous. I pray that you would help us to to hold loosely the lives that we have crafted for ourselves. I pray that you would humble us, Lord, and help us to be willing to turn our plans over to you. I pray, Father, that you would take our lives and that you would use us however you see fit. I pray, Father, that for every person in this room, that you would open up a door for them to be involved in the Great Commission in some way whether that's praying for a missionary or supporting a missionary or going for a summer or or for a year or for longer, I pray that for every one of us, Lord, that, that we would be involved in what you're doing around the world to take the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations. Please grow within us a love for the nations. May we love them like you do. Thank you most of all for your son, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, God bless you guys. Remember, lunch under the portico right now.